At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, it is our privilege to partner with local churches both in the United States and around the world in training men for the gospel ministry. If your church supports CBTS with $200 a month and a commitment to pray for us, any student in your church can attend CBTS tuition-free. To learn more about how you can partner with us in providing informed scholarship with Pastoral Heart, visit cbtseminary.org. Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ-exalting. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Austin McCormick here, and we have the privilege once again to talk with Bennett Rogers today. So welcome to the podcast, Bennett. Thanks for having me, Austin. Looking forward to... uh talk to you again about J.C. Ryle and some of his works. Yeah, we have uh, previ- previously had Bennett on to uh, give us a biographical sketch of J.C. Ryle, and he has also done that for us on John Bunyan, so we encourage you to go back and listen to the two episodes that we have recorded with Bennett. Uh, but today we're going to be focusing upon uh, a book that J.C. Ryle wrote, Thoughts for Young Men, and Bennett, you have uh, been a part of editing a new edition of this a republication. So can you tell us about your new edition of J.C. Ryle's Thoughts for Young Men? And uh, what was your goal or desire to produce this work? Sure. Yeah. Well, um, I've been spending, a, I've spent the last, uh, I guess, 11 or so years, 10 or so years with J.C. Ryle uh, doing work, doctoral work on him that that turned into a biography. And as I got to know him better, I realized that, that there are a number of works that, that he wrote that I think are incredibly helpful for God's people today. And so uh, over the last few years, I've tried to um, sort of edit, you know, edit some, get them back out in people's hands because uh, they're so good. We did that with Simplicity and Preaching. Um, I published, uh, re- republished that with H&E and introduced it a few years ago. And I knew I, I knew that I wanted to do that with thoughts for young men as well. So I uh, I teach at a, a Christian school, and for I've been there for five years. This will be my sixth year in the fall. And knowing that Ryle wrote this, uh, I certainly wanted to to get this in my young men's hands to read it and to study it, to think through it and pray through it. And I gave it to them, and they struggled with it. Um, they, the, the content wasn't difficult, but the language was difficult. They were getting tripped up on some Victorianisms and things like this. And so I thought this is just this, the content is too good to let those things stand in the way of young men reading and understanding this book. And so about a year ago, I just went back through uh, thoughts for young men uh, to try to to make it more accessible, to, to help create a new, more accessible edition uh, for young men uh, today. And so that's what I wanted to do. And uh, we've done that. I think it came out, Thoughts for Young Men uh, came out about a month ago. And I've been really excited to see the interest that it's generated. Uh, we, um, H&E uh, and I partnered with RYM, Reform Youth Ministries, a guy named John Parrott, who I was in school with at RTS. Uh, he's written some stuff, done some great work. And so we sort of co um, branded this work with them to get this in more kids' hands, more young men's hands. And so we're really excited about getting this work in particular in a new, more accessible edition into the hands of young men today. 
Yeah, that's great. And that goal is certainly commendable. Um, For our listeners, we have already, as I mentioned, had you on to give a biographical sketch on J.C. Ryle. Um, But since that time, perhaps we've had new listeners. Uh, So could you just give us some brief comments on J.C. Ryle's life? We won't dedicate an entire episode. We can link to it. But would you give us some uh, comments about Ryle's life or ministry, whatever, whatever else you would like to speak to? Sure. So Ryle uh, was born in 1816. He died in 1900. He's a near contemporary of Charles Spurgeon for uh, our Spurgeon fans out there. So they they occupied the same uh, period of history. Uh, they were they knew of each other, complimented each other on occasion, sparred with each other over the establishment of the Church of England. Uh, but Ryle was born into an incredibly wealthy family. Uh, his grandfather made a fortune in the silk trade. His grandfather also was an intimate friend of John Wesley and a huge supporter of the evangelical revival, a deeply spiritual man. Um, but Ryle's father didn't inherit that spiritual interest, we might say. Uh, and I think that's sort of the genesis of this book, because Ryle's grandfather was a godly man. Ryle's father didn't show a lot of spiritual interest and so Ryle grew up with very little spiritual guidance in his own life. Uh, he writes in his autobiography that, that Sundays were gloomy, that you, you, know, you could go one day from the next throughout the year and no one would, would say anything to him or anyone in his family that was likely to do their soul any good. And so as Ryle, after Ryle becomes a Christian in a remarkable way, uh, he goes on uh, from Eaton, um, Eaton, a public school where he excels as an athlete and, and, and as a student, goes to uh, Oxford and does really well there. Um, as he's getting ready for his exams, he's worried, he's depressed, he's discouraged, he's getting over sickness. He goes and just stops in a church one Sunday morning, doesn't really remember which one it is later on, but he hears Ephesians 2, 8, a read in this slow, deliberate, powerful way, for it is by grace you are saved through faith, not of works. Uh, and he is converted uh, there. He says in his autobiography that that was sort of the culmination of a process, but that was the moment. And at that point in his life, everything's different. He experiences an evangelical conversion. His life is different. He does well in his exams, earns a remarkable first-class award, uh, returns home to his father's house to uh, pursue a career in politics, and would have done that had his father not bankrupted the family. Now, bankruptcy in our day, um, I mean, we see commercials about it on TV showing how easy it is and how wonderful it is. In the Victorian era, before limited liability, uh, bankruptcy didn't work that way. And you had to pay every cent back. If that meant selling your clothes, you had to pay every cent back. And that's actually what Ryle did. He had to sell his uh, his uniform for um, as, a, as a yeoman. Uh, he sold his horse, his saddle. Everything had to be liquidated to pay off the debtors. And so Ryle knew as a bankrupt that carried a social stigma in the Victorian world. He had no political career in front of him. Uh, and so he felt shut up. I love that phrase. He felt shut up. He had nothing else to do but go into the church. <laughs> and he becomes one of the greatest uh, ministers of the Victorian era. So he he starts in a small, small rural community has no idea how to minister there. Um, he is an Oxford-trained classicist, and he is ministering among farmers who love to do nothing more than sleep during church. And so uh, he had to learn very quickly how to get their attention and keep it. That's his experiments that taught him how to do that is, is sort of the heart of simplicity of preaching. So 
uh, for all our, our minister minister friends out there, or if you preach or teach regularly, if you struggle keeping people's attention and you want to learn how Ryle did it, go check out Simplicity and Preaching. It's an incredibly helpful book. And once he found his voice, um, the crowds came. He was an incredibly powerful, gifted speaker. If you've read anything he Ryle's written, you'll know that he is a clear, forceful, and direct writer. He was a clear, forceful, direct speaker. And um, really, over um, a number of decades, he rose through the evangelical ranks to become the undisputed uh, leader of the evangelical party in the Church of England, uh, sort of a position last held by Charles Simeon, a very famous um, pastor theologian uh, in Cambridge. And he um, went from New Forest to Helmingham to Stadbroke, became the first bishop of Liverpool in 1880. Uh, and was there from 1880 till 1900 to his death. He's written a number of works that you can find in you know, a campus bookstore if you attend a, a Christian school or a good Christian bookstore like Expository Thoughts on the Gospels. It's a phenomenal four-volume four commentary on the Gospels. It's full of practical application and explanation. He wrote Holiness. That was Holiness. It's it's uh, nature, roots, hindrances, difficulties, a phenomenal book, um, practical religion, old paths. He wrote a number of biographical sketches, like 24 of them. Uh, you can find those in Christian Leaders of the Last Century. And so he actually wrote a whole lot of really good, really good books. And, and this book, or this small treatise, um, Thoughts for Young Men, was originally part of the Old Paths book, or a collection of essays he wrote that was published in, I want to say it's 1888, but it took on a life of its own because it was so good. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that, that's right. I think I've worked through most of his life from Macclesfield in 1616 through his conversion to uh, his death in 1900 as Bishop of Liverpool. But I do think that this book, like so many of his other works, were really born out of a lack in his own life. I mean, Ryle wrote a lot about parenting, too. Um, and I think that's because, and if you look at what he writes about parenting, so much of it is so different from what he experienced. I mean, Ryle's books about parenting are all about spiritual formation and how to do that. Um, and he writes in his autobiography that that he received almost no spiritual formation from his parents, uh, from his local parish church, where there were high and dry sticks, which never did him any good, he said. Uh, so this book, like so many others, is one of those fine examples in Ryle's life of God bringing good out of evil. Uh, his soul was neglected as a, a young man, and so he seeks to to remedy that in other men's lives, by young men's lives, by producing a book that's meant to to help them uh, be spiritually formed and, and to become more devoted followers of Christ. Hmm. Thank you for that biographical sketch. It is uh, encouraging to hear you talk about J.C. Ryle. Uh, I can just sense your passion for studying him. And uh, just to share with our listeners, uh, last time you came on and started talking about his conversion just through the reading of Scripture, Right. Uh, our church started reading more uh, scripture readings at our church, and uh, I was able to share that. And they were also encouraged of the power of God to convert sinners just through something as simple as reading uh, the scriptures in the sure. public worship. So uh, thank you for that. And Ryle's ministry is encouraging, and I have been encouraged from you coming on to talk about him now and previously. But 
uh, we were starting to transition there at the end to some of the books that he had written. And you talked about the book that we want to give more emphasis to now, Thoughts for Young Men. So why did J.C. Ryle write this book? And can you share with us some ways that we can recognize his desire to minister to or disciple younger people? Sure. Well, let me, um, I'll just read to you his purpose statement, which is <laughs> it's so good. It can't be bettered. Uh, he, he writes this. Um, he says this, I'm growing old myself, but there are a few things I remember so well as the days of my youth. I have a most distinct recollection of the joys and the sorrows, the hopes and the fears, the temptations and the difficulties, the mistaken judgments and the misplaced affections, the errors and the aspirations which surround and accompany a young man's life. If I can only say something to keep some young man in the right way and preserve him from faults and sins, which may mar his prospects, both for time and eternity, I shall be very thankful. So, so that's Ryle's purpose statement. It's helpful to remember what's going on in Ryle's world. Um, in 1859, uh, The Origin of the Species by Darwin uh, shows up. In the same year, Essays and Reviews, which is sort of the... the the, the, the D-Day invasion, you might say, of German higher criticism on the British shores comes in at the same time. Um, you have uh, all sorts of, um, you, you know, you have the ritualism or Anglo-Catholicism, which is really arguing for a very specific kind of spirituality that is distinctly un-Protestant. Um, you also have broad churchmen who are basically denying that doctrine matters at all. All you need to be is sincere. And at the same time, this whole thing called Keswick spirituality is popping up. So, so there's all these bad, in Ryle's mind, all of these negative spiritual influences that young men are facing, and they are being just bombarded with it. I mean, think about Ryle's writing. This is coming out in 16, I mean, 1888. Uh, that means, you know, Darwin's works are 25 years old, uh, higher criticism. I mean, it, you know, this generation that he's writing to is growing up. With, with these new ideas sort of being assumed in, in college settings. And so uh, I think he's really eager to make sure that uh, young men uh, know, know gospel truth and know what living for, living for Christ as a young man uh, might look like and the kind of things that you need to avoid and be wary of and, and pursue. And so I think, you know, you mentioned... Um, why did Ryle write the book? Yeah, what are some ways we can recognize his desire to disciple young people or disciple people? One of the things, if you get to know Ryle, he's doing this all the time. I mean, if, if you've read his biography of um, of George Whitfield or his biography of Hugh Latimer, Latimer or his biography of um, Richard Baxter, those were initially lectures given to a young men's association. So Ryle spoke regularly and repeatedly to Young Men's Association. He regularly and repeatedly addressed the YMCA. Um, he regularly and repeatedly addressed uh, the Church of England's Young Men's Society. In fact, we included in this edition of Thoughts for Young Men a lecture he gave in 1889 at the Liverpool YMCA uh, on Daniel the Prophet, which really summarizes the heart of this book really well. So Ryle always had a heart for young men. Uh, he had sons that he deeply loved, um, and uh, they did not follow the Lord. They did not embrace his evangelical faith. I think that probably only uh, 
stoked his zeal to reach young men. Um, but he would write, he wrote as early as 1851. There's a huge religious census that came out in England in 1851 that sort of gave a statistical breakdown of church attendance. And Ryle wrote at that point, just being in ministry like, you know, seven years, he said, where are all the young men? So he would see that the 55% of you know, Englishmen would attend church on a given Sunday, but by far it was the English women who were attending church and, and not men. And so he was alarmed by that way before this came out. He was, he always had a heart, in other words, for, for reaching young men, for inspiring them with, with good Christian biography and good Christian stories of faithfulness. And that's something we see from the beginning of his ministry to the end. So if you like Ryle's biographies, chances are that biography began, was first delivered as a lecture to young men in a YMCA or in a uh, Christian Young Men's Society or something like that. So he always had a heart for this. And uh, this, I think, is sort of his his great work for young men's discipleship. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's helpful. Um at the beginning, whenever I was asking you uh, your goal and desire, you may have alluded to the answer to this next question, but I'll ask it and let you flesh it out some more. Um, in what ways do you think your new edition might be a helpful discipleship tool, and how are you hoping that others will use this new edition? Right. Good. Well, thank you for asking. Well, one of the things we did was was try to simplify the language. Now, I'm a, I'm a raw purist, <laughs> so I am not trying to... I am not trying to to uh, edit Ryle heavily. What I want to do is take out words like vexed and create a, you know, find a, a more modern, um, you know, rendering or fancied things like that. So that's, that's the editing that I did as I tried. Basically what I did is I read with this with middle schoolers and asked them circle every word you don't know. And some of the words they didn't know were theological concepts like atonement, and so what we did is created an info box, which explained what atonement meant um, or, you know, any sort of what we wanted to do is create a version of this that any young man could pick up, whether they know the Bible or not, and read it and understand it. And so we defined. So so in addition to clean it, to, to editing the language, we put in info boxes to define terms like uh, atonement, sin, repentance, prayer, humility, pride, formalism. Um, Ryle will mention like historical figures in Thoughts for Young Men. And so we put info boxes there that explained who Theodore Beza was. Theodore Beza, Ryle quotes him, and, and Beza said that, that he counted it a special mercy that God converted him as a young man. And so Ryle holds him up as an example of someone who's converted as a young man. And, um, and But we want our readers to know who that is. And so there's an info box about him. Ryle mentions the, the Protestant Reformation favorably. And so we want our young, so there's an info box explaining very briefly what that is. Uh, there are also some other info boxes that, that contain really helpful quotes from like J.I. Packer, C.S. Lewis, other quotes from Ryle that sort of amplify something that he says. I know that I brought one in on a zeal. Ryle has a great definition of Christian zeal in a work called Are You Zealous? And so what I wanted to do is, in a in a in, in one of the readings that that. Ryle uses that idea to include that in it. Um, and so, again, the, the goal was to create a, a preeminently readable version of this. We removed King James quotes, not because we hate the King James uh, Bible, but we removed King James quotes and replaced it with, with the ESV. Uh, at the end of it, we broke the reading down into 21 readings. So you could use it like once 
once a day uh, for a month, if you think Monday through Friday. Uh, there's a summary at the end of it. There's three reflection questions. But we didn't just want this used individually. We wanted this to be able to be used in like a father with multiple sons. So I have two sons, and, and I look forward to a time when when my young sons are older, old enough for me together with both of them to go through it. And so there, there are reflection questions for them to go through. Uh, but we also wanted it to be accessible to to small groups or to youth groups or to larger discipling relationships. And so in the back, we created a, um, a discussion guide for leaders, which contains that summary of the chapter. And it includes 10 discussion questions to sort of further to help explore each each reading and dig in a little bit deeper and try to to, to make the application um, more personal and, and the reflection more, more, more thoughtful. So that, that's those are some of the things we did. We took the work, we broke it up into daily readings, we modernized the language where we needed to, we added information boxes to explain unclear things, we added summaries, reflection questions, a discussion guide. And so I think this book can be used, and I hope it will be used individually for young men to, to read uh, on their own. Uh, I hope it's used in one-to-one settings with a, a father or a grandfather and a son and a grandson, or or even a mother uh, and and a son or a grandmother and a, a grandson. Um, but also, thanks to well, with the uh, discussion questions, hopefully it can be used uh, in in a small group setting or even a youth group setting. So that's we wanted it to be. We, what what I, the goal was to get this, I think, outstanding work. Uh, in as many young men's hands as we could in the most accessible way and the most with a lot of variety that it can be used in different ways. Hmm. Has said in a Mets website says that this book has become a minor spiritual classic. Um, do you agree with this description? And if so, why do you think this book is so significant and why is it one of JC Ryle's most popular works? Yeah, well, I definitely agree with it uh, because I wrote that. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so, so I wrote that, but but I think it's true. I mean, think about this. Um, can you name one single work written for young men before 1990 that has been read by young men for more than one generation? I mean, yeah. No, there, I don't there, think so. <laughs> really nothing like it in Pilgrim's Progress. The book of Proverbs, right? I mean, those, uh, it's certainly not on par with the book of, uh, with either of those two works. That's why we're calling it a minor spiritual classic. But, but really, if, if you think about li- Christian literature written for young men, I can't think of any work uh, until, re- I can't think of any work until the last 20, 30 years that's even written to that specific group of people. Um, I'm sure there are some out there, but they haven't been read for, Decades and decades and decades and decades. I mean, there's something obviously timeless about this work because it keeps getting republished and it has been republished over and over again for 130 years. I just can't think of a book written to this age group that's had that sort of staying power. So I do think it's I do think it deserves the title Minor Spiritual Classic because it's people continue. Young men continue to read it and older men continue to recommend it. And I've never seen a work. Um where that those sort that where that's been true, like I said, beyond Proverbs, which is in a different category, it's God's word, uh, or the Pilgrim's Progress, but that's not even directed specifically towards towards young men. Um, so, so why is it so popular? Uh, well, I think for one, it's doctrinally sound. I mean, men who love and trust the Lord hopefully want to to pass on that 
that faith to to younger generations, as Paul tells Timothy. You know what what you heard from me, uh, and trust to and trust to to uh, sound uh, other men. And so, um, it's doctrinally sound. It's safe, um, but it's not just doctrinally sound. There's lots of good doctrinally sound stuff. What makes I think thoughts for young men and thoughts for young men so helpful is that it's simple, it's forceful, and it's clear. Um, it focuses on gospel essentials uh, as opposed to periphery things. Um, again, people read J.C. Ryle and have no idea he's an Anglican bishop. That's because he focuses on sort of first-tier gospel essential type things. Uh, he is loved and revered by Baptists who, who often don't like <laughs> you know, Anglican bishops, uh, Presbyterians, uh, Charismatics, non-denominational folks. I mean, it's just, uh, it's just gospel focused. And so denominational loyalties don't sort of creep in and it gives it sort of a wide range of appeal. And it's so practical and useful. I mean, if you look at the chapters of the book, uh, you know, very the first part, reasons for warning young men, few young men follow Christ. Is that still true today? Absolutely. Uh, is death near? Yeah, um, you're becoming what you are. Um, Satan is after you, and you should serve Christ now. I mean, those are <laughs> those that that's simple. Young men need to be reminded of, of all those things, and so then he goes to special dangers for young men. Pride will destroy you. Pleasure will destroy you. Like spiritual thoughtfulness, a thoughtlessness, excuse me, will destroy you. Contempt for religion will destroy you. The fear of man will destroy you. I mean, that these things are true in the Victorian era. They're true now. Um, they're relevant, and uh, it's just biblical wisdom. His advice to young men, recognize the sinfulness of sin. That You need to know Christ. Your soul should be your top priority. Try. Like, try to try to follow Christ faithfully. Um, the Bible is your guide. Choose your friends carefully. And then, then at the end, he, he focuses on particular rules of conduct, right? Repent of every known sin. Uh, flee temptation. Remember God's eye. Uh, use all the public means of grace. Pray. <laughs> like that's that that that's basic standard Christianity, um, but Ryle Ryle discusses these things I think in an incredibly healthy, sound, powerful, forceful, practical, useful way, and because of that I think it just resonates with with uh, with men, young and old. So I, you know, as as I was editing this this work, I I was constantly just being challenged by Ryle again and again and again. I mean, like his, his, um, his chapter on the fear of man, like that's, that's something as a, as a, as a pastor, I, I just started a new uh, church position, um, you know, a week ago. And one of the great temptations of ministry at this point at this church is the desire to be liked and the desire to sort of, to that, that temptation uh, to, to please men or, or to fear men, rather than or more than uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is a real temptation. And so I need I, I need uh, that that reminder. I need the reminder that pride can destroy my soul. I need to be reminded that my choice of friends matters. Uh, even now as a as a 41 year old, my choice of friends matters. Um, and that and that I, I, I am I will be in the future what I am becoming today. So I'm I, I mean even if you're not a young man, I think this work is, <laughs> is valuable and helpful. It's just vintage Ryle targeted to young men who need to hear these truths. Mm. I was going to spring a question on you that I didn't send you. Hey, um, please do. Please do. 
and you kind of already hinted at it in, in the last answer, I was going to say that our little tagline for our podcast is that the Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. <laughs> Obviously, Ryle himself was not a confessional particular or whatever terminology you want to use, Reformed Baptist. Uh, sure. If I'm correct, I think he confessed the 39 articles as his confessional, the confessional document. So um, why might Baptists want to get their hands on thoughts for a young man? And are there any uh, of his Anglican uh, convictions that come out of this work that you know of? Well, other than I'm trying to think of, you know, maybe a random qu- quote from, from a Anglican theologian, um, like he may say, good old Bishop Usher. But if you know anything about Archbishop Usher, he's not a bad dude. <laughs> I mean, he's, he is a thoroughly Protestant uh, 16th century uh, English archbishop. So, so uh, there aren't any, you know, you can read, you could read this work and this would be true of so many of Ryle's works. You can read it and have no, and you could think you're, it was written by a 1689 London Baptist confession of faith signer. If the language was different. Right. So, so the same would be true of holiness, right? You read holiness. I'm, I'm, I'm writing a, uh, writing an article for desiring God about holiness as a classic. You can read that work and have no idea that the guy who's writing this is an Anglican Bishop. I mean, it's foot, it's foot. It, you, you read it and you'll realize this guy likes the Puritans a lot because he quotes them all the time, but he quotes Bunyan and he quotes Owen and he quotes, Gurnall and he quotes Baxter. And so he he is, you know, as far as is being concerned that 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 putting this book in a young man's hands might lead them away from a 1689 church. I don't think you have to worry about that at all, um, because I'm I am I am willing to bet that you can read this and you could not you would have no idea where the author went to church other than he was a Protestant evangelical who loved the Lord and focused on gospel essentials. And so, um, so yeah, there's, he does mention, uh, he does mention use all the public means of grace. Uh, and in there he talks about church attendance, but he doesn't, he's not saying, and you should ch- choose a church of England church. In fact, in other works he wrote as an Anglican, he says, like, I know why people don't go to church of England churches. He says, if the gospel is not preached there, they go to they go to the chapel. So, so in Victorian England, you've got church and chapel. Church is established church. Chapel is nonconformist church. Uh, and Ryle says, and they should. Like you have, I mean, he said that if, if if your parish church isn't preaching the gospel, go to one that is. Hmm. Um, and so that and that I think gives you some sense of, of Ryle's personality. Like he he does love the Church of England. He does love the Thirty Nine Articles. He's committed to 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 um, to an evangelical view of the episcopacy, but you would never get that from thoughts for young men or holiness or practical religion or or old paths or anything like that. His his sort of pro Anglican uh, pro establishment works um, were tracks. You know there weren't many of them, uh, and they're important. I mean, think for understanding Ryle, um, but I don't think I don't think Baptist. Um, like myself, who, who, who serves a 1689 church, uh, I don't have any qualms about, I mean, I'm, I'm giving uh, four copies away to uh, some youth guys uh, Wednesday. 
And I have no, I'm not worried at all that they'll read this and become Anglicans. Not at all. Um, so anyway, yeah. So uh, good question. But that's Ryle. I mean, you if you if you were to read expository thoughts on the gospel, you'd have no idea. Like his denominational convictions. I mean, he, he, you know, when he talks about ministers, he looks at John the Baptist and says, this is what a minister should be. Um, he doesn't talk about sort of ecclesiastical affiliation. He talks about well, what does John the Baptist always do? Well, he always points people to Christ. That, that, that's his whole ministry is pointing people to Christ. And that's what every minister should be according to Ryle is someone who points people to Christ. Um, so great question. Um, but you know, if, if you, if you've read two paragraphs of Ryle, I think, or three paragraphs of Ryle, you get a pretty quick flavor for what's important to him and what's not. And he is not trying to convert Baptists to Anglicans or, you know, Bab- uh, Presbyterians to Anglicans and, um, and any of these works uh, at the very least. Well, thank you for speaking to my question off the cuff. And so our, <laughs> sure. our last question that we have for you is, do you have any final encouragements pertaining to J.C. Ryle, his life, his ministry, or his writings, specifically uh, thoughts for young men? Yeah, well, I would just encourage readers to to get to know Ryle. I think he's I think he's a resource, and he is a good resource. Uh, whether you're preaching and teaching, uh, or just reading the Gospels, his expository thoughts on the Gospels are good. Um, I can't think of a better book on the Christian life than Holiness, and I, I mean that sincerely. I mean, maybe the Pilgrim's Progress. I, I would, but I would essentially argue that that Holiness is the Pilgrim's Progress stated propositionally. Um, so I think um, I think uh, I would encourage anybody and everybody to read Ryle. Um, you know, he's not he's not perfect, but I think he's he's solid and he's good. I think Thoughts for Young Men is the best of its kind. Uh, I've never read anything better for young men than that work. Uh, also, be on the lookout for Thoughts for Young Women. So Ryle also wrote stuff for women, believe it or not. Uh, one of his daughters did embrace his evangelical faith. He did write things to women. Uh, and for women. And so um, in the coming weeks and months, I, I hope to put together a new work, Thoughts for Young Women, which is basically, I'm, I'm going to try to find everything that Ryle wrote uh, to or about women, put it together in a volume similar to this and get it into uh, to young women's hands. Um, you know, it's, it's funny as someone who, who teaches Bible at a Christian school, um, it's, it's the young women who are often my most uh, eager and enthusiastic students, so I would I, I would love to get them to um, to get some 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 good Ryle stuff in their hands as well. Because I think that, I hope that'll come out about this time next year. I don't know if that will be the case, um, but um, my goal would be to sort of finish up calling that material together in the next two, three, four months, editing it, doing the same sorts of things, and maybe seeing it come out uh, in May of uh, next year. But but who knows. That's the battle plan anyway. Well, our listeners should uh, definitely be on the lookout for for that work down the road. And uh, to our listeners, we want to commend you to get a copy of Thoughts for Young Men from Hesed and Amet, edited by Bennett Rogers. We'll link to uh, that book where you can do so. But uh, Bennett, thank you so much for coming on once again to talk uh, about J.C. Ryle and his book, Thoughts for Young Men. Hey, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. And to our listeners, we want to wish you grace and peace. For additional content, check out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Lastly, 
Thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.